listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome into the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Joined with me remotely is Zeeshan. Yo. Alright, man. Um, if you haven't done so already, definitely check out the last episode. The last episode, we completely broke down the blockbuster James Harden trade that sent James Harden over to the Brooklyn Nets. So definitely check it out on all podcasting platforms and on YouTube if you haven't done so already. But on this episode, we're going to continue on with the craziness that has been the 2021 regular season. And we're going to do, and since now that we're deep enough into the season, we feel like it's it's a good point in time to kind of measure some of the over and underachieving players so far into the season. And then there's, there's a bunch of each, man. Yeah, like, we did um we did the over and underachieving teams. Uh, yeah. what was it a couple episodes ago? I think two episodes ago. Yeah, um, so definitely check that out. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, now we're moving on to the players who are over and underachieving. Yeah, and I think for pl- there's a difference between like a team versus individual players because I think for for a team you're you're looking at it from a whole like holistic perspective because one or two pieces of a team could be playing very well but the rest could be completely garbage or you know or the opposite could be the case for a team but in players you this is your individual performance and this is how you dictate how it separates the men from the boys you know so it's uh this is always a uh, it's very subjective obviously overachievers and underachievers are really based on our opinion and what we're seeing and you know their impact that they're making on their respective teams but let's start off let's jump right in and let's start off with the overachieving players for this season and there's actually quite a few of them I and mean, it was kind of hard to kind of narrow things down um but i think the first player that we're going to talk about as an overachieving player is uh chris boucher uh bonjour shout out quebec shout out canada shout out know. toronto shout out toronto you already know man Chris Boucher, I mean, we have to bring him up. I mean, like, he's 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 literally been doing this, like, right in front of our faces, man. He's averaging 14 points per game, 6 rebounds, shooting 45% from 3. And, man, he's been the biggest surprise so far of the season for, the for like, the Toronto Raptors and the league, man. Like, this guy is just on a whole other level, like, on, on his play. And I think the biggest thing with Chris Boucher is, first thing, taking better shots like last season you know he got opportunities to play he got opportunities to show himself in Nick Nurse's system you know granted in very few minutes but he wasn't really comfortable he wasn't taking the right shots he was forcing a lot of his offense and that really hurt his his performance but now this season we see him he's very comfortable he's taking great shots you know when he's open he'll take the he takes threes he's not hesitating at all and he's finishing at the rim more and that has been such a huge help for the Raptors who have honestly been getting nothing from their center position for the la- for the first part of the season to have a guy in Boucher who can actually hit a hit a layup inside as a as a seven footer is very w- much appreciated as Raptor fans. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you. Um, yeah, like to your point about Chris Boucher, he's taking a huge step forward in terms of his uh his development. You know, as you were talking about last year. I think you know he knew it was he was playing in limited minutes, so he tried to do as much as he could in those limited minutes. To his fault, sometimes, right? You, you talk about him, and he admitted it himself, right? He would chuck up bad shots, right? Random threes, like his shot selection was not good. He was not a great finisher at the rim. He added what? What do you say? Like fifteen, twenty pounds of muscle. 
Um, he got stronger at finishing at the rim. His shots been looking good. It's faster actually when you when you notice yeah. his shot now again. His release is kind of, is not as unorthodox, but I mean it goes in. Yeah, so that so. was one of the main things the Raptors also worked with him in the offseason, him and Matt Thomas particularly, um, to make their shots a lot faster. And you're seeing the dividends of it. Um and to your point too, the the thing that makes Chris Boucher's leap so special is because it comes at the most opportune time for the Raptors because of the fact that prior to Aaron Baines' last three games, no big men on the Raptors were doing absolutely anything except for Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher was the only reliable big man the Raptors had in the rotation. So the fact that they're getting this out of him um, is great for them because they needed this at this exact point in the in, in the season. And I think the key thing with Boucher is that he's bringing consistency every single night. Like, he's consistently delivering. And he's just been a spark off the bench for the Raptors. You know, another element of the Raptors that a lot of people have been complaining about is, including us, is the bench. The bench has been atrocious. Like, there's nobody off the Raptors bench who can consistently give them production besides Chris Boucher. And that's just been a huge boost for this team, man. Uh, so Chris Boucher has just overall just been fantastic this season. You know, I think at this point he's in the running for most improved player if he keeps this up. He's in the running of six man of the year at this point, especially considering how, you know, lackluster the Raptor bench is. You know, they need all the help they can get. But I think there's one drawback with Chris Boucher, and I think it's something that he there's not really a ton he can do about it. It's he in certain physical matchups, he's it's just not as advantageous to play Chris Boucher you know those matchups are just tough for him to overcome for instance what I'm referring to is let's say he's going up against like a big center like a Yusuf Nurkic or like a Nikola Jokic or you know one of those old school traditional style like tough centers or we just saw or we just saw um him get abused by Miles Turner yeah Miles Turner again we're talking about bigger stronger centers who are more physical, you know, and force Chris to, you know, force Chris out of his game. And I think, you know, he's he's a skinny guy. You know, he has the Kevin Durant issue where, you know, it's it's tough for, for those guys to, be, to put muscle on their frame. You know, with Kevin Durant, he's more of a perimeter player, so he doesn't necessarily have to, you know, take on that punishment. But as a big, you know, you, you kind of have no choice. You kind of have to take it, take what you can get, man. So, but... Regardless of, of the fact that, you know, he has those physical limitations, he's still been fantastic this season. You know, he's been an amazing player for the Raptors. I hope he keeps it going um, because this is a level of production that I didn't think Chris Boucher had within him. Well, I'll scratch that. I mean, he was a, MVP, a, D, a G League MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, in the same season. Hakeem so, Olajuwon Chris- of the G League. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, you know, but again, like this just comes to show you where like, you know, a guy, you give the guy an opportunity and this is a guy who takes an opportunity and takes full full advantage of it. So Chris Boucher is definitely a player who's has overachieved to start the season. Yeah, um, I think side note too, this is why we, when we're predicting our uh, season awards, this is why we said the most improved player award is the hardest award to predict. We didn't even have Chris Boucher in our MIP discussion, right? 
kind of disrespectful, I guess, for us as Raptors fans. But it is well, what it is. Out of nowhere. Yo, it's like a he... pleasant surprise, right? So, like, that's why we said that the MIP award, Most Improved Player Award, is the hardest award to predict because you just don't know how guys are going to come into the season and how they're going to play. And uh, Chris Boucher is a prime example of it. Another guy that is a prime example of banking on some of your potential and improving into the new season is Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Shout out Canada. Even though he doesn't play for Canada. Uh, that's a different discussion. But Andrew Wiggins right <laughs> now is averaging 18 points, 5 rebounds, um, 2 assists. That's just Andrew Wiggins. It's not really his role either. Um, but the surprising thing is 41% from 3. Um, Andrew Wiggins, the thing with Andrew Wiggins is that he'll never live up to the hype, right? He'll never live up, unfortunately, to what his hype was. And that is, I think, in large part due to him. But also, we, we all know, right, even particularly us as Raptors fans seeing a world-class organization on a daily basis and how they operate, we all know um, draft picks and young players, much of how they perform is based on the team situation, the organizational structure that they come into. And Andrew Wiggins himself recently admitted too, right, he went into a structure like Minnesota, which has not had much winning at all in the past two decades, Right. And he was talking about how the little things like scouting reports, they weren't organized with that. You know, he didn't have a defined role. There was questions up and down the roster, uh, constant roster movement, constant front office movement, things like that. That's what high draft picks come into. But they're not good at all for a high draft picks development. Right. I will say Andrew Wiggins, a large part, again, due to his, you know, his his own negligence, I guess that he didn't improve um, into what he was supposed to. But there also is a factor of the organization, right? He talked about how the transition from Minnesota to Golden State was a huge leap for him in terms of now, you know, those little things like scouting reports, they're organized, coaches are organized. You know, you have defined uh, structure within the front office, within the coaching staff. You know, he knows exactly what his role is. He, you know, the coaches are helping him get better. And that is a huge reason as to why he has been playing so much better. And we even said, you know, last season when he got traded to Golden State, this is what we were hoping for, at least in this stage of Andrew Wiggins' career. You know, he's not going to be that next incumbent Kobe Bryant that a lot of people were hoping him to be. He's not going to be that. Right. But he's not going to be Maple Jordan? He's not going to be Maple Jordan, exactly. But this is what we wanted uh, to see him, right? This is how we want to see him. Now, obviously, last season was his first season in Golden State. It was an adjustment period. But this season, you're seeing how much um, just structure has helped him out and helped him hone his skills in terms of a defined role for what Golden State wants out of him. Yeah, I mean, I think with Andrew Wiggins, I think, like, I w I've been a, a very vocal in my support for Wiggins. I've always liked Wiggins as a player. I always liked him coming in. I think he had all the the, the, the physical tools to be a great, a solid two-way player in the league. But he just never lived up to those expectations, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where he li literally didn't show any slew of effort, which annoyed the, the crap out of me. Um, but I think what you're seeing now with the Warriors is that you know, he's in a system, he has a defined role, he has other talented players who are going to put him in position to succeed in Steph Curry and Draymond Green, rather than Carl Anthony Towns, who, again, it's not his game to get other players involved, you know. Carl Anthony Towns is a big who kind of absorbs the defense himself. 
Uh, but that's that's a whole other issue with Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but I think with Wiggins, especially with the Warriors, you're just noticing he's shooting the ball better. He's taking smarter shots. No more of those stupid fadeaways that he used to take in Minnesota to try to pretend to be Kobe. He's taking smarter shots. And I think in particular, I noticed against the Raptors, he's that his shooting stroke has looked a lot better than what it is, man. Like he was hitting corner threes just with defenders right, you know, closing out on him confidently. Like he's not afraid to take those shots anymore. And you know, those are the most efficient shots for him to take, especially in this Warrior system. But I think the biggest thing that I think you touched upon, Deshaun, was that the defense. The defense has been amazing. You know, he's always had those physical tools to be a, a great defender. But now he's finally living up to it. And it's really helping the Warriors being a more dynamic team. Because now when you think about it, you not only do you have Draymond, you also have, you know, Kelly Oubre who has his length. You have James Wiseman with his length. You have Wiggins with his length. Uh, then off the bench, you have a guy in, um, you have you have Looney and then Eric Pascal as well. So the Warriors have a lot of length and, you know, a lot of ways they can, you know, make their defense a lot more dynamic. And I think Wiggins improving on that side of the ball has just really helped them, you know, cause havoc on that on the defensive end. So, yeah, I don't know if you got anything more to add. Yeah, um, Andrew, I think one thing if you notice, if you look at him right now too, he added on a lot of muscle. And that, I think, has really helped him as well. Um, obviously, he's been sometimes forced to play, you know, the power forward role on defense. He's been forced to take the opposing team's best, uh, you know, best wing player. For example, um, the the Clippers game where he took on the task of guarding Kawhi Leonard. And he did a very, very good job on Kawhi Leonard. He did a number on Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, the added muscle. And then, to your point, another uh, a name that you brought up, Draymond Green. We've seen how Draymond Green has impacted James Wiseman and also Andrew Wiggins, right? Obviously, you know, being on the same team as a defensive player of the year like Draymond Green, one of the best defenders of his generation, will help out immensely. But also the fact that Draymond Green is a leader for the Warriors, right? He's the, he's the Warriors, besides Steph Curry, he's the Warriors' heart and soul, right? He's their vocal leader. He, he's the guy at the top of the uh, at the top of the chart in terms of you know his voice in the locker room. So when you have a guy like that who motivates you and who helps you on your fundamentals, especially coming from a person who is who has made who's gotten those accolades for what he does defensively, I think you're seeing the improvement from guys like Andrew Wiggins and James Wiseman and what you know the role of Draymond Green does for them. Yeah, I mean, again, Draymond is the vocal leader. Like Steph Curry is not a vocal leader. He's 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 more like I think I saw I saw like a, a meme or some kind of video online just saying that you know Steph was just like dancing, kind of goofing off, but Draymond was like, and the, the the tagline, this is why Draymond has to yell at everybody, which is true because again, Steph is more of that easygoing type of guy. Draymond's that guy who's gonna be that vocal leader and it's gonna put everyone where they need to be. You know, and I think that's what makes him such a great, uh, a great player to have on your team. You know, we see it with Kyle Lowry on the Raptors. Just having that vocal leader is so important to you know, you know, bring a sense of structure to your team. I think one but, more point about Andrew Wiggins quickly um, is the fact that his experience with Jimmy Butler I think helped him in this situation too, because of the fact that Jimmy Butler was the first I think guy that like really really toughened up guys like Carl Anthony Townsend and Andrew Wiggins, right? 
Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns got that veteran experience, right? That that dog experience from from Jimmy Butler. And now that Andrew Wiggins is playing with Draymond Green, he can adapt to that a lot better. He's a lot more receptive to it. Not to mention he's a lot older now than he was with Jimmy Butler, right? So it's it's I think you're seeing not just on the court, but his maturity off the court in terms of especially I think the way uh one really telling thing is how he does his interviews now and how he speaks. Right, and you can tell there's a huge difference in terms of what he says now, um, and the respect that he gives off in his interviews compared to, for example, when he was a bit younger in Minnesota. Yeah, I guess uh, Jimmy Butler's yelling prepared him for Draymond Green's yelling, but uh, yeah, I mean Andrew Wiggins has definitely been an overachieving player this season, and we hope he continues to, continues to grow and be be the great player that we we all knew you know thought he could be. Which brings us to the next player who we feel is overachieving. And man, I really, really hate that this guy wears green and white, man. Really do. But it's Jalen Brown, man. Like, after, like honestly speaking, we were debating on whether or not to put Jalen Brown into this. Because we were like, you know what? He is more of an established player. But we looked at his numbers this season. We're like, look, man, we got to talk about Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is currently averaging 27 points a game, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, shooting 43% from 3. 43% from three-point land. He's been an absolute monster this season. You know, he's being a two-way beast. Like, he's scoring on the offensive end, but still providing his elite-level defense on the other side of the ball. It's been fantastic, especially with Jason Tatum being out due to the COVID protocol. Jalen Brown has stepped up, and he's been great. He's been great scoring the ball. He's been great, you know, especially with his outside shooting. We saw in the bubble and in, in the playoffs, we us especially saw in the playoffs how effective Jalen Brown is as just being not only a tenacious defender, but man, he can ma- he can make some tough shots. He can shoot from three. He's just an overall fantastic player to have on his on on, on your team, man. And I think, but I think for us, I think a lot of our kind of comments on on Jalen Brown have always been towards the fact that he hasn't been a number one option in Boston. You know, he's always been kind of a number two option or a number three option at times with the team. But I think with Tatum being out, you're truly seeing that he's definitely capable of being a number one guy on a, uh, on a, on a, on a team, man. And, you know, it really, really sucks that Boston just keeps finding these guys. man. Like, I don't know who Danny Ainge is paying to scout for his team, man. But, man, like, th- that's tough, man. When you've got Jalen Brown and you still got Jason Tatum, like... Not to mention, uh, you know, like Marcus Smart and other other guys that they have, uh, Grant Williams. Well, Grant Williams being playing garbage. Uh, Time Lord Robert Williams. That's what I meant. Um, but yeah, Jalen Brown has been absolutely insane to start the season. Uh, most recently, he had a thirty-three point game in nineteen minutes of action, which is wow. like actually crazy. Side note: Austin Rivers today just had a twenty-five point half in eleven minutes. Uh, of course, season, man. yeah, he had 25 and 11 minutes. Of course, uh, he ended up dropping a grand total of zero points in the second half to lead the Knicks to L. But got to keep consistent. Yeah, got to keep the Austin Rivers uh, peak model of consistency, right? Bro, he he, he can't he can't get everyone you know everyone's hopes up, man. He's, he's got to get the reputation to keep as a steady veteran point guard who's gonna bounce around the league a bunch of times, but occasionally he'll surprise you. He will. Um, but yeah, Jalen Brown, I think. 
I think you really saw this trajectory coming last season where he took that massive step forward. And then especially in the playoffs, we saw that firsthand against our Raptors, right? Where he was locking up Pascal Siakam on one end and on the other hand, dropping threes after three after three. This season, he's really taken on that first option role and he's been the Celtics' best player, I think, the entire season. Um, even when Jason Tatum was there in the beginning, the, the scorching hot start that Jalen Brown just got off to, he was automatically, I think, the Celtics' number one option. And then obviously, you know, Jason Tatum went out due to the protocols and whatnot. Um, so he's been forced into that number one role and he's accepted that challenge greatly. And the Celtics are benefiting from another smart move, a great move by Danny H. Yeah, man. Like, I don't know where Danny H is finding these guys, man. But, uh, you know, the Celtics have, have a great scouting department, man. <laughs> They're doing a fantastic job, man. It, he's Draylen Brown's a fantastic player, man. And he's he's having a great season to start the year. Yeah. Um, another guy having a great season to start off the year. And I admit, uh, we're going to take an L on this one. But it's Jeremy Grant. Um He's averaging right now 24.3 points a game, 6.5 rebounds on 44% field goal shooting, and 39% from 3, 1 steal, and 1.3 blocks defensively. Again, we'll take an L on this one. We were very critical of his contract in Detroit. Now, again, granted, this wasn't, this wasn't I don't think, a great move for Detroit. Like, it, it doesn't really... It still doesn't exactly make sense from their point of view, but... I will say the contract in terms of him as a player has worked out really well for Detroit. Um, he Grant, Jeremy Grant's always been a good role player, right? He grew from his time in Philadelphia where he was just an athletic monster and just very raw all around into where he went to OKC and he where he developed a three-point shot. And then into Denver where he learned to use his defensive abilities and his three-point shot to help contribute to winning. And he's always been like a very good role player, but sort of limited, right? He was like kind of like what we saw in Serge Ibaka, right? You give him too many dribbles and it's not going to go great. But he was very good in his role in Denver, which is why we were kind of critical of Detroit giving him such a large contract and expecting him to take like a number one option role. But Jeremy Grant has improved so much to the point where he's added an off the dribble game. He can catch and shoot now. He's... He's shooting off the dribble. He's driving to to the paint. Um, he's running the pick and roll. off. Now that the defenses are keying in on him, he's finding those cutters. He's turned himself into a very, very complete player, which is why um, he's probably the lone bright spot for the Detroit Pistons, and he's the only reason why they haven't been getting blown out every single game because he's just he's turned himself into a legitimately, um, you know, all-around player, great all-around player. Yeah, I mean, I think Jeremy Grant is a perfect example of a player that's truly like when you give this guy, when you give him time to develop, when you give him, when he's a guy who's constantly adding to his game, adding to his game, you know, you, you put him in a situation where now he has the minutes, he has, you know, the the role to to do to go out and play at a complete level, uh, like completely. You can see that he flourishes in that, and I think I don't think we ever doubted that Jeremy Grant was talented. I don't think. Any of us, you know, could say that, you know, this guy had no potential to do this. I think where, and I'm going to, I'm referring to his contract, where we mentioned about his contract. I don't think we were even concerned about the amount. Now, yes, now does the amount make a lot more sense? Absolutely. Because now you can see, now you're getting a full, complete player. You're paying him close to max level 
dollars for it. Makes total sense. I think that the thing with the contract was that now you okay, you're putting up these great numbers. You're 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 being a fantastic number one option for the. D- the problem is it's with the Detroit Pistons, who are currently dead last in the Eastern Conference. It, like, at some point, your numbers need to translate to wins, and otherwise you're going to end up in a situation like Bradley Beal, where you are averaging close to 35 points a game, which, but your team is 3-10. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you got to win at some point. And I think Jeremy Grant, if he could have done this, giving you this level of production and still been on the Denver Nuggets... Bro, the Nuggets would have been an amazing team right now. They they they'd be a, you know, top top two, top three in the Western Conference easily. Yeah, the main um, thing with the Nuggets is that they're missing defense, right? So they let, uh, they let Mason Plumlee walk. They they let Jeremy. Well, they they had Jeremy Grant, but he decided to go to the Detroit Pistons for the exact same amount that Denver was offering. I think that's what a lot of people have a problem with Jeremy Grant because of the fact that, you know, it's not like Denver was offering him less money. Denver was offering him the exact same money, uh, but he wanted to go to Detroit where he knew he was going to be losing a lot, but he wanted to showcase that, you know, he's a, he's a much better player than he was able to show in Denver. Now, again, I don't really fault him for that aspect of him choosing Detroit, um, but at the same time, you know, like... He, he's sacrificing a lot of winning that he would have had in Denver. Now, the one thing about the situation, though, is that Jeremy Grant's still young, and he signed a four-year contract with Detroit, meaning he still has at least probably one more contract after this contract. Um, and so that he can probably, you know, now that he showcased himself into a possible, you know, all-star maybe, right? Now he can take another contract after this one with a winning team and hopefully, you know, maybe lead them to a championship if that's his goal. Yeah, I mean, again, it really, like, I don't fault him for taking the money and taking the opportunity with Detroit. I just think that, you know, he it came down to role for him and he didn't want to play, you know, second or third fiddle anymore. He wanted to be the main guy and I think... Uh, you know, good for good for him, man. He's having a fantastic season, and I think if he was playing for any other winning team except but Detroit, I think he'd be far more recognized for his achievements. But he's been having a fantastic start to the season, no doubt about it. Which brings us to our final pick for an overachieving player, and he's a player that's been in our MIP discussion. Uh, we had a couple of episodes ago, so definitely check that our awards episode out to get the full details on what we what we predicted about this player. But we're talking about Colin Sexton. Uh, Colin Sexton has been a very surprise for me in particular. I think Zishan really called him to be uh, a better, you know, a lot more high on him than I was. But, man, Colin Sexton has just been been balling out, man, to start the season. He's averaging 25 points a game, you know, that, getting a couple of rebounds, four assists. But I think the big thing, shooting 46% from three-point three point land. Like, that's fantastic. He's been great this year, scoring the ball. I think he looks far more comfortable. Like from what I've seen of Colin Sexton, he looks more comfortable. His shot selection has been far better than it had been in pre- in his previous couple of seasons. And the three point shot, it looks better. It's going in at a more consistent rate. You know, he's he's just really polished up his offensive game. He's even finishing at the rim with a very well. 
Uh, not to mention, he's been very clutch. You know, he's he's not afraid of taking of hitting big shots and big moments. You know, as we saw hitting that huge shot over Kyrie Irving. You know, beating the Brooklyn Nets twice in a row. Fantastic work by like Mr. Colin Sexton. Everyone right there. liked that. Besides Brooklyn fans. Well, I mean, again, he balled out. Like, he went shot for shot with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Like, like it or not, he did that. He, he, he literally did that. And it's amazing, man. Like, I, I, for a player that I didn't really have a lot of hopes for, the fact that he's come out and just... He's doing his thing, man. He's balling out, and he's really um, becoming a good cornerstone piece for this Cleveland organization. Yeah, um, now you guys know that we don't watch that much college ball. But for me personally, Colin Sexton has been on my radar ever since um, he nearly led his team to a win in a three versus five situation. And he single-handedly carried his two other teammates against a full set of five players. He, so you already saw that from day one, like he, he's... His heart is there. You know, he's he's a very feisty player. He's going to work uh, very hard. You know, he has all the intangibles. It was just about could he put it together? Could the game slow down for him? You know, would that the IQ side of the basketball court, um, you know, would that translate well? And you saw maybe in his first season, um, you know, he was a bit rusty. You know, it was not he started off very poorly. It was not going well for him. Um, but over, you know, this last stretch over, you know, this past season as well, you saw the game start to slow down for him. You saw him to your point, start to take better shots, start to make better decisions, not just drive towards the help defense, right? Um, you know, be able to run the pick and roll better, be able to find his teammates a bit better. Now, obviously he's always, he, he is the, you know, he's a shot maker, right? He's not really the, the guy that'll get the you know his other teammates involved as much that's more of Darius Garland's role right he's the more natural facilitator but Colin Sexton in his game has improved that aspect of his game as well so you're just seeing a young player start to take the next step you know for the game to start to slow down for him um and yeah to your point you know like Cleveland Cleveland has a nice collection of talent now you know they're really building themselves out of the post LeBron era, right? Where as you saw in the the first time that LeBron left, Cleveland really had nothing going for them except for drafting Kyrie Irving, Tristan Thompson, right? This time around they're doing things a bit better. Right now they have a nice core in uh Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, who they drafted. Now they got Jared Allen and trade. Right. So now they're they're building a really nice core. And not to mention the fact that even at this young stage in a lot of their careers, right? They're not expected to win that much, right? They're not expected to even make the playoffs. But the fact is that they're winning games. They're winning against Brooklyn. They were right there uh, until the end versus the Lakers, obviously, until LeBron went crazy. Um, they're, they're, being, they're, they're being very competitive. And that's, I think, the most you can ask for from a young team who's not expected to win anything. And that's a very good sign for Cleveland fans of you know what's to come and what their future is hopefully yeah man i mean overall man colin saxon has just been having a fantastic start this year and so has the cleveland cavaliers like like you said like the biggest thing that you want for a young organization is a team that's going to have heart a team that's going to be able to compete every single night and i think that's what this Cavs team has been able to do 
uh, obviously they still have some issues with as far as contract moving some big contracts that they don't longer need anymore and, and etc but as far as collecting young talent they're, they're doing the right things and I think you know it, it's starting to look like something going on in, in Cleveland right now yeah um, um yeah. and then yeah we're gonna have some uh, honorary mentions quickly uh, we're He's not gonna talk for yeah, this one we're not gonna talk about that them that much because I think we've talked about them uh first off my guy Christian Wood um, you know, he's an honorary candidate. I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about him because of the fact that, first of all, I've already talked about him a lot. And second of all, I've been talking about him as a good player from last season, not just this season where a lot of people have been noticing him. I've been saying that he's a very, very good player ever since last season. So for me, he's not really an overachiever because I've seen this happening since last season. Um, second guy that we want to bring up, and I will take credit for this, um, Especially, I think you were you were much lower on him than I was. Uh, but we're talking about Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward is looking. A lot of people are like, "Oh, he's looking like his Utah self again." No, he's not looking like his Utah self again. This is exactly what Gordon Hayward's been throughout his career, minus you know the one or two years off. Obviously, after he snapped his leg, it, you know nobody's gonna be the same after that. But he's regained his form. He's not back to his Utah self because this is what he's always been. The problem is he was pretty much the fourth option on the Boston Celtics, right? You had Jason Tatum, you had Julian Brown, and then you had Kemba Walker ahead of him. So he's not going to be able to get the touches that he needs, especially the fact that he's more of a facilitator, right, rather than a score-first type of player. But then once he starts facilitating the ball with the ball in his hands, you know, he can start shooting, he can start popping those threes, he can get into a post, he can get into his mid-range area. Right, and he can run the pick and roll. Now you're seeing him drop consistently 25 points a night. You know, six assists, four assist games, four rebound games. Right, you're seeing the all-around brilliance of Gordon Hayward. And um, listen, man, I called it. Look, man, I, I'll say this: the one what I was mad about Gordon Hayward was his contract and how huge it was. I'll agree with that. Uh, like his contract was was very very big. Now is Gordon Hayward a great player? Absolutely, but is he worth that amount of money? No. At least in my in our opinion, I don't think he is. But I've always been a fan of Gordon Hayward. I've always liked him ever since he was in Utah. I thought he was a fantastic player. I was happy for him when he actually went to the Boston Celtics because I just felt like he wasn't winning in Utah, and he finally was able to go to a winning situation. And then unfortunately that injury happened and kind of, you know, really. You know, stepped his, you know, put his career on hold for a little bit. But yeah, man, like as you said, like with the Celtics, he he was a fourth option. He wasn't getting the touches he he was. You know, he's accustomed to with with Utah when he was with Utah. Uh, but now you see it with Charlotte. Now he's he's getting those touches again. You know, he's he's also been a leader of, in that locker room because he's one of the oldest players besides Bismack Biombo on that team. Uh, shout out Bismack, yo, my guy. You know, but Biz Gordon Hayward. It is getting busy, yo. Biz always is busy. But yeah, I mean, Gordon Hayward has just been fantastic this season, man. Like, and, you know, I guess I'll give you credit that, you know, that, you know, you called that he'll, he'll be better this season. For me, honestly, I just didn't have any expectations of the Charlotte Hornets, so that's why I quite honestly didn't really care. No, to your much, point, but... I think, about his contract, I will agree with you on the fact that he's not worth his contract from Charlotte's perspective. Now, is he worth a $120 million contract? It's debatable, but I think 
in terms of what the market is at this point, I think it can be argued that he's very deserving of that contract based on the type of player he is and the market that the NBA is at right now, the salary cap expectations. The problem I think that both of us had was that Charlotte, out of all teams, was the one who got him, right? Charlotte, who has no aspirations of winning and is focused on developing their young players. If yeah. you add Gordon Hayward to that, you know, you're not you're not winning anything immediately with Gordon Hayward. And then also you're you're decreasing touches, you're taking away touches from guys like Lamel Ball, uh Devontae Graham, uh Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, right? So I think from that perspective, that's what a lot of people, including us, had a problem with Mitch Kupchak for doing, right? Because of the fact that like if you're Charlotte, why would you why why do you need Gordon Hayward? Like, there's no... I get yeah. that you're getting a good player and a good presence in the locker room. But at the same time, like, you're... There's another huge contract from Mitch Kupchak. And we know from, you know, Mitch Kupchak does not have a good precedent when it comes to giving veterans big contracts. Man, yeah. Shout out Lou Aldang. Still collecting bank. Shout out Timothy Mozgov. Yeah. Bro, uh, yeah, Mitch Kupchak has a really bad history with big contracts. But yeah, man, I, I, I think that's what it comes down to. But overall, man, those were our picks for the overachieving players so far to start the season. Let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree with those picks? Um, but now we got to flip things over to the underachievers, the, te- the players that we really, really want to shit on right now. And I want to start us off with one of my favorite players to shit on, and that is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, man. Ben Simmons. You can go Averaging off. Yeah, thank you. He's averaging a measly 13 points per game, 7.9 assists per game, 8.4 rebounds, and 1.7 steals. Does those numbers sound familiar to you? (laughs) Because they should. They're very similar numbers to what he put up last season, and the season before that, and the season before that, and however long he's been in the league for. You know, I think this has been the problem with Ben Simmons. He's still a great defender. I'll, I'll give him that. He's a very, very good defender. Now, granted, he's not a point guard, but, you know, he, but he plays the point guard position, so he's just bigger than everyone. But that's a completely other conversation. But on the offensive side of the ball, man, this guy has shown zero improvement. Actually, a little bit of regression when you think about it, because he's scoring less, averaging less than what he's been doing last season. It's the lowest scoring output in his career. Yeah, it's the lowest scoring output in his career. But here's the thing. This guy has never averaged 20 points per game once in his career. And to think that you're now, you're like basically the number one, number two option on this team. You have the ball in your hands for a lot of the times because when you don't have the ball in your hands, you're not very effective. You're you're not improving at all. And on top of that, you not improving is stunting the growth or stunting the play of Joel Embiid who quite honestly, is playing like an MVP caliber player this season, you know? So the fact of the matter is that this guy who was drafted number one overall, he was touted to be like the next LeBron James because he had the type of build that LeBron has, has shown zero improvement. And it's always been my gripe with Ben Simmons. He's been a very hyped up, talked about player. But this guy hasn't done anything. And then yet the Sixers still gave this guy a five-year extension and handcuff themselves for any possibility of moving him in the future. That was my, was my biggest frustration with Ben Simmons, is that you don't know if this guy is going to get better, or you, he hasn't shown you uh, a willingness to improve, yet you're handing him a, contra- a contract extension. For what? That, that, was another, that was another Elton Brand mistake that I was like, what are you doing? But yeah, and then another thing that you got to bring up is the Sixers 
are still not able to win without Joel Embiid because Ben Simmons is not aggressive at all. And that's another thing with Ben Simmons that also really annoys the hell out of me is that he's not aggressive. You know, we, we've seen Ben Simmons. When you piss him off, you know, when he's aggressive, he's a great player. Like, he's a player that is going to be able to dominate because he, he's... He's a big guy. He's a, he's a big guy who can get to the rim at will. He can also facilitate. He can get rebounds, and then he can defend at a high level. So that's a player that you want on your team. But when he can only do that very few times on the year on the schedule, but the rest of the time is giving you thirteen points. Like, come on, man! And you're paying this guy thirty five million dollars per year. Like, come on, man. Yeah, that's... like when it comes to Ben Simmons, I think the the key word that you talked about is frustrating. Yeah. Like, Ben Simmons, to your point, should... There's no excuse for him to not average 20 points a game. There, there's absolutely no excuse. And He's 19. Bro, 20. No, I don't want 19. I want 20 points from him, at least. The, the problem with Ben Simmons is, to your point as well, the aggressiveness is not there. It's like he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it, right? Um, You know, not even just the shooting, right, where he, he doesn't even attempt shots. Like, oh, oh my God, he attempted, like, five threes this year. Oh, my God, huge uptick, right, from the two threes that he attempted last year, whatever it was, right? I'm not even talking about the shooting. It's just the overall, you know, what he does on the offensive end, right? And we've seen this in the playoffs. He'll bring up the ball, right? Either if there's an open lane, a completely open lane, then he'll go for a layup. If there's even one body in the paint, he's not going to go for a layup. He'll stop. And then he'll pass the ball out, and then either he'll stand on the wing or in the corner, or he'll go to the dunker spot where he takes up space for Joel Embiid, right? And that's my point. That's that's the thing that screwed them over in the playoffs. When you can point to Ben Simmons and say, these are the only three things you're going to do on the offense. Either when there's a wide open lane, you go for a layup, or you'll hand the ball off, stand in the dunker spot, or stand on outside. And not to mention the fact that he has no threat of a shot, so when he is standing uh, outside the paint, Right, his his men will sag off of him and help on whoever's driving to the rim. And then when he is in the dunker spot, you're taking away space from Joel Embiid, who is the best low post threat, frankly, in the NBA today. So I think you know again, I'll bring up the key word frustrating. It's because of the fact that there's no excuse as to why this guy should not average 20 points a game. He's a 6'11", 240, um, you know, huge player. He he's he's he has all the physical tools, but it's just he's not he doesn't show the desire to improve or to at least, you know, the willingness to try and improve. Right. Uh, the one thing going for him is that he's a what top 15, top 10 defender. You know, cool. Um, he's a great passer. Great. But the problem with him being a great passer is if you have no other threat on offense, your passing will be very limited in what you can do because people will be able to close up passing lanes if you're not going to be a threat to shoot the ball, right? And um, and this is a problem that's hurt them continuously in the playoffs year after year after year. And we've been saying it for, I think, a number of years now. If Ben Simmons cannot improve and cannot help you win, you got to be able to find a way to trade him. Like, th- there's no point of, you know, repeating this failed experiment year after year after year let him go to a team trade him to a team that can utilize his talents um you know to the fullest right a system like Giannis has in Milwaukee both are not great shooters both are you know big bodies um and both you know can drive to the rim at will or 
are supposed to drive to the rim at will, right? Let him go to a system, you know, that that maximizes his talents that way instead of letting him spend his time in Philly, where frankly guys like Tobias Harris um, have played better than him this year. Uh, uh, you know, Seth Curry. I mean, Seth Curry is. I at this point, I would say Seth Curry is maybe more important than Ben Simmons on the offensive end because of what Seth mm-hmm. Seth Curry can do for you alongside Joel Embiid, right? It, it's a very frustrating situation with Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing you brought up Giannis actually because at least with Giannis, the, he his weakness is his jump shot, but at least you can see growth in that in, in that department. You can see him taking more shots. You can see his stroke improving every single season. Uh, that's he's debatable. Attempt- well, I mean, he's attempting them. He's taking those shots. He's working on them constantly. The thing with Ben Simmons is he doesn't shoot the ball at all. He doesn't even at least. Like if you take a couple of shots, the, at least like the defense, you can psych the defense. You can at least try to psych the defense out that oh shit, maybe I, I should step up on him. He might actually hit a couple of these, and because at the end of the day, these are NBA players. You know, they 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 they're gonna bound to be hitting a couple of shots here and there. So at least do that. But Ben Simmons doesn't even do that. And when you come back to try to trade him if he's not going to improve, well, you kind of handcuffed yourself because you gave him a contract extension when quite frankly he didn't deserve it. And uh, now, I mean, I've been on the, the I, I would still look to shop him at the trade deadline or shop him in the offseason, but this guy is giving, giving you nothing, man. And he's really stunting the growth of your team, especially if Philly gets another early playoff exit. Yeah. And the fact, not, the, the issue is that not only does it seem like he's not getting better, based on his point total this year, now again, Doc Rivers is optimizing Tobias Harris a lot more based on, you know, what Tobias Harris can do. And that's why you've seen the improved production from, you know, guys like Tobias Harris, Seth Curry. Doc Rivers is maximizing a lot of the other guys a lot more, right, in this offense, which is why, you know, that contributes to Ben Simmons' drop-off in points. But the problem is, like, you can still say that not only has he not gone better, he's sort of kind of regressed, right, um, at least a bit on the offensive end. And that's a massive, massive problem if your star player is not, first of all, not improving um, in a in a key weakness of his, but actually regressing. And, you know, that does not bode well for the 76ers' fortunes. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot to say about Ben Simmons, man, but we got to move on. We have, a, we have a couple, a few other players that we need to bring up. Uh, which brings us to the next underachieving player, in our opinion. It's, uh, it's unfortunately, it's Aaron Baines. Uh, Baines has just had a very rough start to the season, man. He's averaging five points per game, five rebounds, shooting an abysmal 26% from three-point land. And, you know, like, I think a lot of fans, especially Raptor fans, were really hoping this guy was going to come in and, you know, replace what Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka gave us. And honestly speaking, for us, we didn't expect him to come in and do that. We didn't expect him to completely replace what these guys do because... Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, you can see, they're great players in their own right. But we didn't expect Aaron Baines to be this bad, man. Like, he's just been, at times, he's just been unplayable. And I think the biggest problem is comes to, first of all, his shooting. His shooting means that he, when he's not shooting the ball well, it means he's a liability on the floor. You, we can already see him and Pascal Siakam just, it, it doesn't work because there's such a big clog in the middle of the floor because Baines just isn't a threat to score on the perimeter and Pascal needs space to operate inside. So that's already another problem. 
Then, not to mention, on the defensive side of the ball, it's been pretty poor. Like, there are moments where Baines just isn't able to keep up with uh, with guards or he gets caught up in the pick and roll or he picks up really, really, really bad fouls that some of them, and again, some of it's the officiating that I think he's getting, but some of it's also just he's not in the right he's not in the right positioning, or he gets called for that stupid illegal screen call that he <laughs> like once a game he's always gonna get one of those. But remember man, the, uh, the, Jonas Valanciunas's illegal screens once a game. Do you remember oh, that? But uh, this guy used to get a, a one illegal screen at least. But the thing with JV is that JV always set great screens. Like JV, like he doesn't move. Like Aaron Baines, you can kind of you can clearly see him moving. JV just got that because the ref just hated JV. Hey, bro, it's the um, Australian. You know, it's the Australian uh, how they how they play, bro. Little elbows, yeah. little uh, cheap shots. That's that's I, how they set and screens, again, bro. I respect I love it. That. I respect. I love it. that. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I, I really like him doing that, especially for for us. But just don't get caught. Like that's that's the biggest thing. Don't get caught. Um, but man, there are just so many times with just Aaron Baines that just put himself in a position where he's just unplayable for Nick Nurse. And although in recent times you're seeing him, he's starting to get better. He's starting to play to what I at least expected him to be. He should still be able to do the basic thing like hit layups or at least be a solid enough rim protector that you can be playable. That's all we really expect from Aaron Baines at this point. And to be honest with you so far, it hasn't been great for Aaron Baines in Toronto. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, you touched upon all the points of why he's not being great um i guess i'll i'll talk about you know why there's maybe a bit of hope now first of all i think a lot of people are mistaken in the fact that they thought they thought a lot of people undervalued what Serge Ibaka and Marcus were right a lot of people thought oh Marcus and i i know people like that they're like oh trade Marcus trade Marcus he's garbage Serge Ibaka's not great he can shoot a bit of threes you know it is what it is. They're they're decent players. The fact is that Sergi Bach and Marcus Gasol were one of the best center duels in the league by far, right? So a lot of people thought that Aaron Baines could replicate what they did because of the fact that they undervalued what Sergi Bach and Marcus Gasol were, and that is frankly what got a lot of people into trouble and why a lot of people are pissed because of the fact that Aaron Baines is nowhere near the level of what Sergi Bach and Marcus Gasol were. Um, you know, that's issue number one. Issue number two is obviously, I think, logistically of all the stuff that the Raptors are going through. The Raptors, I think, were one of the teams that were most hurt by this whole, you know, pandemic situation and what's going on with the NBA right now because of the fact that the Raptors were the only team that actually had to move. So they had to move pretty much like they moved the whole they moved the whole country down, right? They're they're in Florida now, whereas they're in Toronto, right? So you're moving across the United States. And, you know, I, to be fair, there's a lot of, you know, issues, um, you know, that happen with that short training camp. Um, Aaron Baines going to a new team, you know, so it can be it can be rough from that aspect. I will, you know, cut him some slack there. Um and again, you know, you're seeing that he's he is starting to play a lot better. Um, his past three games have been very encouraging. Um, you know, he's starting to hit his shots more. He's starting to find his place within the offense. He's starting to, you know, just develop a chemistry with the other guys. Um, but to your point too, right? Like, his shot's still not all the way there. He's still not making enough shots for him to be a consistent 
rotation piece, at least, you know, just past his first quarter mark and the third quarter mark, right? He's not playing well enough for that. Um, his inside game has never been um, that great where you can give him the ball in the post and you can expect him to operate. You know, he's not that guy. He's a more of a dump-off kind of guy. You know, you drive the ball to the paint, you dump the ball off to him, and he'll be able to hopefully finish the ball, uh, finish his, his shots in the paint. He's never been that guy to, you know, take mid-range jumpers, you know, to... He, he's not he's not going to be what Serge Ibaka is. And then on the defensive end, you know, he's a very strong guy. That's that's the one strength that he has. But he doesn't have the athleticism that Serge Ibaka has, right? He doesn't have the rim protection that Serge Ibaka has. And then, you know, Marc Gasol did not have the athleticism that Serge Ibaka has. But he had the IQ, right, in terms of cutting off angles, stunting, running back, knowing when to chess, knowing when to, you know, put your hands up, knowing when to swipe down. Aaron Baines is not on the level that Marc Gasol is IQ-wise, right? So, and not to mention the fact that Loki, I think he's faster than Marc Gasol, but in terms of his efficiency, right? Marc Gasol knew how to play his angles. He knew how to use his foot speed or lack thereof. Aaron Baines is not, again, on the level of IQ that Marc Gasol is. So he's not able to even replicate close to what Marc Gasol can be. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate because of the fact that the Raptors according to reports, pretty much just lost both players on their own, right? And that's the unfortunate part of it. But, you know, Aaron Baines, Aaron Baines, we know, is best suited to take on a bench role. And unfortunately, that's, he's kind of being pushed into a starting role. So, you know, that's, that is unfortunate, I think. Yeah, man, I think with Aaron Baines, I think it just comes down to, it just wasn't a great fit with Toronto. Now, again, I think he can still be a serviceable player for the Raptors. Like, again, everyone's clamoring, oh, trade Baines, trade Baines. I still think he has an opportunity to improve himself, which he's doing slowly but surely uh, over his past few games that he's been that he's had. But again, man, like, you can't be this bad, um, especially when your your role was pretty, pretty attainable, pretty doable for you from, from the beginning. But... We'll see what happens. We we hope Baines improves. He's slowly doing so, but yeah, he's he's been pretty pretty bad and pretty underachieving so far this season. Um, which brings us to the final player who we feel is underachieving to start the year, uh, and we and and it's actually going to be Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball has not had a good start to the regular season. Man, he's averaging twelve points per game, four point seven assists, three point eight rebounds, shooting thirty nine percent from the field. Uh, and shooting 29% from three-point land. Um, and he's shooting 58% from the free throw line. Like, you know, it also doesn't help that the New Orleans Pelicans have been absolutely garbage as a team this season. You know, they're not playing defense. Uh, they're being pretty awkward on the offensive end. But Lonzo, he's, it's just not working, man. He's not a great fit alongside Eric Bledsoe. Plus, you know, Zion Williamson and uh, Steven Adams aren't shooters. So it really doesn't help Lonzo and his playmaking aspect, similar to Ben Simmons, where Lonzo really isn't an aggressive type of player looking for his offense. He's a player that really likes to go in the flow, tries to attack, tries to, you know, drive, try to get, you know, move the ball a little bit and get some plays going that way. So I think for Lonzo, this, the, for the personnel that he has around him, it's just not a great fit. 
And it just seems like all the improvement that we've seen on the offensive end with Lonzo just kind of regressed. You know, he's not, it kind of all went away. You know, the jump shot's looking worse. The field goal percentage has gone down. The free throw percentage has gone down. And it's just not looking good. At least for me personally, I've always thought that Lonzo never really wanted to come to New Orleans to begin with. And I think now more than ever, like he, I think he he didn't want to sign in an extension, right? Or, you know, he, he's going to be a restricted... They, yeah, they couldn't come to an agreement, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah, something like that. But again, like he, I, he, I don't think he wants to stay long-term in New Orleans. I don't think he wants to be in that situation anymore. Um, maybe a new situation can help him out, but so far, man, he has not been great. Yeah, um, I think for Lonzo, I think um, it points to a bigger situation for the New Orleans Pelicans where they started off great. Uh, but then they have really, really regressed. And, you know, it, the team as a whole has not played well. You know, Zion Williamson, for example, you can point to the fact that he's averaging 22 points. Oh, my God, Zion Williamson's averaging 22 points. He's making Sports Center every night dunking on somebody. But the problem is Zion Williamson has not been doing anything else, right? He's not, he's not shooting the long ball. He doesn't have a mid-range game. And defensively, he's been absolutely atrocious, right? He's been terrible, terrible defensively. Steven Adams, another guy that is a nice player on a team that suits him. But on this team, the personnel is just not there. And Steven Adams' effectiveness has been reduced as a result. Then you have Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball in the backcourt, which is a very awkward fit. It's not a good fit at all. The only guy you can point to on the Pelicans saying, you know, that's playing very well is Brandon Ingram. Right, and even that Brandon Ingram has has tapered off a bit. He's still playing very good, but you know, he even that he's tapered off a bit as well. So New Orleans, I think this is a whole team wide issue, but specifically about Lonzo Ball. To your point, I think he just he needs a new situation. I think um, he needs to go to a team that will maximize what he's good at, and then I think he just he needs some he needs time away from like all the bright spotlights because of the fact that, you know, first in LA, he had the Hollywood spotlights plus his dad. And then New Orleans, you know, he has the spotlight of being alongside a great young team in uh, Zion Williamson and uh, Brandon Ingram and all of them, you know. So I think he just needs his own situation where he can develop a bit more at his own pace. And then, um, you know, hopefully we'll see a, a, a good version of Lonzo Ball. Yeah, man, I think, yeah, I agree. He needs a new, new situation. He's also been in trade rumors, actually, in, in uh, as of right now. You know, he's he, he's been fielded off there. You know, he, the Pelicans are taking calls regarding trades for, for Lonzo Ball. So we'll see. He, who knows? He might be moved by the trade deadline for all we know. Uh, but, yeah, those were the players, in our opinion, that are underachieving to start the season. Let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree? Or what other players do you think is underachieving so far this season? Uh, which finally brings us into the up and under segment for this week. Uh, first off, are you up or under on LeBron James? Uh, he give he give he's giving credit to the, to a Cavs executive who trash talked him uh, during the 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 recent game with the Lakers and the Cavs in the four that led to LeBron having a fourth quarter explosion. LeBron had forty seven points that night. Forty six. Forty six. Forty six. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, uh, huge yeah. I'm up on it, man. No, you're up on it. Yo, you you learn like, bro. What is this? The 16th season, right? 17th. 17th. Or is it 18th? 
Um, okay, I'm tripping at this point. I don't even know. But bro, he's, he's been, been doing too long. He's been doing this long enough, man. You know not to poke guys like him, Michael Jordan, Kobe. You you know not to poke those guys, right? And um, and I was even telling Ani, I was actually watching the second half of this game. I saw after he missed that shot, um, after the third quarter, I saw him turn back and he was like, you know, he nodded his head at you know whoever was talking. And I was like, yo, I said it on the spot too. I was like, yo, the Cavs just done goof bro like you mess up and lebron outscored the entire Cavs team in the fourth quarter and like the shots this guy was taking after his first shot that he he made i was like yeah bro that's it lebron's gonna take over and um let's just like bro it's a great it's a great um narrative for him it's just another you know great story in his career but to the Cavs executive that trash talking come on man like you watched him bro you watched him for was it uh like 11 years in front of your eyes man like come on bro like you you guys know better man yeah man like at this point in time like i i don't understand why why people you know doubt lebron being the best in the world like you are aware that this guy is coasting through the regular season right he's still averaging 27 and you know 8 and 7 because he's just that damn good but when he wants to he will put on a show he will literally Go in, take your heart out of your chest, and freaking eat it right in front of you. We know that's as <laughs> Raptors fans, bro. Unfortunately, we we know that we know this from firsthand experience. Firsthand trauma, oh, first-hand PTSD, trauma, man. Real dog. When you see LeBron spinning the ball in front of Sergio Ibaka, you know it's game over, right? Him there. pretending to sip drinks in in the middle of a playoff game. Sad times, bro. That's just so that's trauma, memories. bro. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty traumatic. <laughs> but yeah, man, this it doesn't shock us at all, man. Don't freaking piss off the greatest player of this generation, man. Don't do it. Yeah. Because w- as soon as he starts to try, it's game over. Yeah. Your team's done. Uh, yeah. Side note, we might need to talk about this too in, later on in the season, but this might be LeBron's best shooting season as well. Just a side note. Um, which is, again, the fact that he's having his best shooting season right now. Yo. Oh my God, bro. LeBron's crazy. Um, Isn't but this good at? yeah, bro. Next up, are you up or under on the NBA possibly discussing an All Star game in Atlanta um, in March, not February? Yeah, I'm under on this, man. I so you have all these protocols. You're already like postponing and missing games. Players are in and out of the lineup, but you want to do an All Star game? Like, come on, man. Don't don't do something stupid. Like, you don't needed especially when again we've talked about this when they the the league announced they weren't doing an all-star game this year good because the all-star game is meant for the fans and if you don't have fans in attendance then what's the point of an all-star game like it really doesn't make a ton of sense why you put an all-star game on for fans with no fans in attendance especially when again now you have all these players coming from different cities interacting it's like it's it's literally a COVID hell situation right there, man. So I'm heavily under on this. I like we just like okay, it'd be nice to know who are the all stars this season. Like and I think they should still announce all stars, but you don't need to have a game this season, man. It, like especially how weird things have been. Better be safe. Yeah, exactly, bro. Um, now they're definitely gonna still have all stars. That's confirmed, obviously, and obviously the players would not let. You know, no all-stars being announced happen because of the fact that, number one, legacy points. Number two, they're not going to get their contract bonuses screwed out of their, you know, contract. So, they're, they're definitely going to be, you know, going to 
they're they're definitely gonna want you know the all star nominations. But exactly like you know to your point, right? There's no there's no real point of doing an all star game. You have no fans there. Uh, you know you have all these players coming in. And, you know, you're postponing all these games already. You're having already so many logistical issues. And then you want to you wanna add in the All-Star game on top of that. There's no there's no yeah. sense in doing that besides the fact that you're going to get some extra TV revenue. Um, you know, and, like, there's no point of doing that because of the fact that whatever extra TV revenue you get, you're probably going to have to give up a good chunk of that in return when you have to postpone games later on because of, you know, directly the all-star game that you want to host so again there's no point of that i don't think yeah no point moving on are you up or under on the houston rockets actually being the ones to trade for kevin porter jr so now they reportedly traded a future second round pick to the cleveland cavaliers for kevin porter jr um i'm up on it for for houston rockets because of the fact that it's a very low risk high reward uh move you know they essentially gave up nothing a second round pick a second round pick is not really worth that much in in the nba for a first round player yeah exactly a second round pick for for a a, first round player again projected top 10 pick at one point before you know all his various off-court issues happen um and you know maybe maybe now in a more defined uh, organization in a new organization alongside some veterans who have you know had their own off-court issues in the past you know, um, now, now maybe, you know, he can find some semblance of structure within his playing career. And, uh, you know, if he can get on the court for the Houston Rockets and, you know, can contribute as another guy in the locker room, you know, that's a great pickup for the Houston Rockets because they now have a young player who can hopefully turn into maybe a 20 point score for them in the future. Yeah, I mean, again, like, they gave up literally nothing, which just shows how desperately Cleveland wanted to get rid of this guy. Like, they they literally were like, Houston, all the like, hey, we'll give you a second round pick. They're like, take him. Take him away. Like, that that's that's where Kevin Porter Jr.'s career is at. But hopefully, again, he had to bounce back in uh, in Houston. Um, again, Houston's building up a young collection of talent and drafts, capital. So, we'll see what happens, man. But I think he, what Houston is building is pretty good, actually. We'll see what happens. Yeah, next up, uh, are you up or under on the referees ejecting Draymond Green for yelling at his own teammate and James Wiseman? Now, reportedly, Steve Kerr asked them to rescind the technical during the game, and the referees were like, no, we're not rescinding it. And afterwards, the NBA had to rescind the technical. So are you up or under on this whole Draymond Green technical situation? Well, I'm under on it from the perspective that this is just another example of how poor the officiating has been or how lackluster it's been for the last few seasons now like it's been a few seasons now we've seen consistently where the officiating is just at times it's just bonkers it's just like what like why would you make this call now or why are you like when an official is a key reason to decide the game for instance i gotta go back to when damian lee had that clear flop (laughs) In front of the yeah. official, but he got a foul call late in the game. Like the, there was no need for a foul call on that in that situation. I don't care if there was contact or not. There is a that's a last second shot. There is bound to be contact. He didn't need to fade away. Why did you make the call? Why did you be the deciding factor of that game? If he made that shot, amazing, he wins the game. But that'll be on the player and, and the team. But now in, in this case, that that game is in my in our opinion tainted. And being Raptor fans, they were like, what the hell? The refs basically screwed us over because 
Like, it, there was no need for it. And again, there's just been so many instances where it's like, there's no need for a call here, or there's no need for an official to get involved here, but, you know, they, they've just been doing that, doing these kind of things, and I think this was a very laughable, very comical example of that. It's like, come on, man, you're yelling at your own teammate. It's not like you're yelling at another player. Why give the guy a technical? And the bigger problem, I think, that a lot of people have with the refereeing now is the fact that, okay, fine, mistakes are going to happen. Sure, you know, yeah. these new referees, we, we know what happened after what was it, 2017 when a lot of the older refs left and a lot of new refs came to the NBA, right? You know, newer refs, younger refs are going to have issues. They're going to be, there's going to be mistakes. Okay, fine, human error. We can accept that. The problem is when these refs are on power trips, right, and, like, they showcase some amount of arrogance that's not needed, from a person that's not even supposed to be involved in the game when the referees make themselves part of the game, which, what's you know, they say the sign of good referee is if you don't even notice them, right? So, exactly. like, if, if the referees are making themselves part of the game, that's a big problem, right? The referees are going on power trips. So, you know, we've seen a lot of other petty stuff that the referees have done uh, nowadays, right? Ejecting players for, like, laughing at them or something, you know? Um, like there's a lot of issues that's going on with the ref refereeing. That's not just the human aspect of error that happens, but it's more than that. It's, it's, it's personality issues that I think a lot of the NBA fans have. And I think this is, this is a point I got to bring up before we end the episode is, you know, there's punishment for players, right? There has to be some sort of punishment for the referees now i'm not saying you know suspend referees if they make a bad call or something you know obviously the referees are gonna have error right it's gonna happen but things like if you remember um when that referee headbutted sean livingston and then ejected sean livingston <laughs> i mean the ref did get suspended for that so kudos to the nba for that but things like where you're seeing now like the referee ejects draymond green especially the fact that the referees at halftime reportedly st- told Steve Kerr, yeah, we're sorry, we, we messed that one up. And then Steve Kerr and Draymond Green was, were like, can you resend the technicals? And the, the, the refs were like, no, nah, we're not going to resend it. We're going to stand by. And things like that is like, why, man? Like, why? Why, are you, why are you going on your power trips, bro? Like, why? There's no need to be. And I get it. Again, the refs have a tough job. But, like, you know, there's a level of professionalism and, you know, not being arrogant in your job, which I think a lot of the referees at this point have showcased, right? But, um, you know, that's, again, we've had this discussion numerous times, but I swear it just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, I, I mean, again, the officiating is a completely separate topic that we're going to have. We, we, we needed, like, a whole episode to talk about this type of thing, man. But we don't really have the time for that in this episode. But with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us, including YouTube. Uh, we're the Up and Under Podcast. Also, check it out. Check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at up, letter N, under podcast. Facebook.com slash up and under podcast. For all the latest updates, whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur, also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's also a place where we write blog posts with every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen to the full thing, you can read about it as well. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. And yeah, man, the season is getting crazier. We had a pretty a bit of a longer episode this time around, but a lot to talk about. 
this is just getting crazier from here, man. So, with that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.